I'm Marty Dodson. And I'm Clay Mills. Welcome to Songtown on Songwriting. Hey, everybody. We got a special guest today. In fact, we have a Hall of Fame songwriter, Byron Hill. And I was just reading your bio. Byron and I go way back. Uh, We've written a number of songs together. And, um, you know, I think you, you just, you know, your friends have written some hits sometimes, but you don't know all of them. And I was just reading your bio. I was blown away. So I'm going to read them a little bit of this. Um, Byron's songs have been released on 95 industry certified gold and platinum albums and singles, 10 ASCAP awards, 36 U.S. and Canadian top 10 chart hits, many other hits worldwide. He was inducted into the Nashville Songwriter Hall of Fame in 2018. And you've recorded, I mean, you've written some of my favorite songs that I didn't know you did. I, I knew you did Foolhearted Memory. I did not know you wrote Politics, Religion, and Her, which I think is a brilliant song. Thank you. Um, nothing on but the radio born country high tech redneck which is a great song um, and the list goes on and on so i encourage everybody to check out byronhillmusic.com you can get the full picture but and we can get to this later but tiger king 2 i mean yeah, i know that, it was a impressive. surprise <laughs> oh man well first thanks for having me on here marty it's uh it's great to connect with you old friend and uh Good to see you again. And um, yeah, the uh, I get this call from a buddy of ours. You probably know Odie Blackman. And he says, hey, I'm watching Tiger King 2, and your song is on there. And I, I didn't even know. So I uh, I checked it out, and sure enough, there it was. It was kind of an, an embarrassing scene in there. But, uh, you know, that's what you expect out of the Tiger King thing. You just But uh, anyway, yeah, as an old a song that I wrote in 1980, uh, and it was originally written for a movie uh, called Coast to Coast. Uh, Johnny Lee recorded it, Picking Up Strangers is the name of it. And it, and it uh, um, so yeah, so the first thing I did was I called the publisher to find out if it had been licensed, you know, <laughs> because, uh, you know. Tiger uh, King and all. Tiger King and all, yeah, you just never know. But uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, episode one That's of awesome. Tiger Tiger King too. It's kind of cool. That, that may introduce you to a whole new generation of fans. You know, it's it's okay. You know, I've got some of those type fans already. I think you know. I saw, <laughs> <laughs> so so maybe it'll just expand the list. <laughs> maybe so. I, well, I think uh, I think songs like High Tech Redneck kind of you know, went into that territory, <laughs> lean hard into that area. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, tell me about how you got started. Like what <laughs> kind of, what was your, um, you know, where'd you come to Nashville from and how did you get started as a songwriter? Well, um, I started writing songs when I was in college, uh, and, uh, even a little bit before college, but, um, by, um, by the time I, I, gotten out of school and gone back to my hometown. I was playing a little trio in Winston-Salem, North Carolina is where I'm from and working in a music store. I was teaching guitar and I kept, uh, had my sights set on some music center because back then LA and New York were also big songwriting centers. I mean, they, you know, especially LA, they had a lot of singer songwriter type people, but that was just too far for me. And New York was too, you know, foreign to me. I just, uh, so Nashville, uh, and Nashville was really where all my heroes were. So I, uh, songwriting heroes. So I, uh, uh, started bringing my songs 
to Nashville about 1975 and uh, doing the thing, making the rounds, 76, meeting people, uh, doing what writers kind of have a hard time doing these days. It seems like you can't really get around, uh, go publisher to publisher to publisher and have meetings and things like we could back then. Uh, the publishers were all kind of open to that sort of thing. Uh, if you were kind of business-like about it and set up an appointment, you know, so that's what I did. I started bringing my songs here, um, save up a little money, make another trip. Um, and then in 78, uh, well, it was actually about 77. I met some key people that really took some interest in the songs. Uh, one, uh, being a guy named Jonathan Stone, who was at ATV Music, and and he even encouraged me to go around and visit other publishers. So I met uh, other people, but he he really through him, but he he really wanted to help me make the transition to Nashville. So a um, tape copy job came open at ATV Music, uh, and there was. They used that back then. They used this job at ATV. The tape copy room was kind of a place for an aspiring writer, uh, not a, not for an aspiring plugger so much like that job is now, you know. Uh, but uh, so they had a writer in that position who got a cut with uh, Charlie Rich and they were going to uh, elevate him to a full staff writer. And so I, I moved down here in 78 and took that job. And it was a very low paying job, <laughs> but, uh, but it got me in, you know, got me in town aligned with a publisher in May of 1978. And then I started getting cuts, started getting little cuts, you know, things on Margot Smith, uh, well, even Conway Twitty, um, some just odds and ends, just things were, were starting to get cut. So in seven, in September of 78, they signed me uh, to a publishing deal. And I was ended up being there, you know, six years, I guess. So. But anyway, that's kind of long story short. But if I could add something, I, I left it, I left this part out. Of, um, the very first time I, I came to Nashville, I, uh, Jonathan Stone told me to uh, stay at the Downtowner Motor Inn. So <laughs> I didn't know anything about Nashville or where to stay. So I stayed there. And it was a fairly inexpensive place to stay. And I remember I went in and the first thing I did was I got the phone book, you know, and turned to the yellow pages and the music publisher page was torn out. <laughs> and, so, and so I went down the hallway to the payphone. back then, you know, the, the, the uh, uh, yellow page or the phone book would hang on a chain. And so I got that, opened it up, went to the music publisher page and that one, that one was torn out too. So I kind of realized, <laughs> you know, not the only one. A <laughs> little bit of competition to yeah, deal with. That's so. funny. Yeah, it was. So did you ever find one that had it in there? Well, by then I was, you know, I, I had people's numbers and I was sort of going, you know, the way it, the way it even works today. And one thing leads to another. So I'd, I would meet with one um, person and they'd say, hey, you need to go talk to so-and-so too down the street, you know, or whatever. And it was great because you could do that. You could really... You could really set up a lot of appointments in, in a couple of days. And, and, of course, going around and seeing the PROs was important for me then as it is now. I went into ASCAP, and, uh, and that's kind of where I've been ever since. It was a 
remember it was a hot summer day and uh, Merlin Littlefield gave me a Coke. <laughs> and, and that's why I signed with ASCAP. <laughs> well, <laughs> it was, it was that simple, you know, <laughs> good people, you know. <laughs> Gave me a Coke. I'm going to sign with him. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, BMI was probably next on my list of people to visit that day, but just mm -hmm. happened to get a cold Coke from Merlin. So that was, you know, I was just kind of a naive guy from North Carolina. This is as far west as I'd ever been. So I always tell people to try to find somebody at a PRO that believes in you and sign with that one, you know, instead of just picking one. But I guess somebody gives you a Coke is not even. <laughs> Trump that, you know? Yeah, that's right. But that's true. What you just said, that's the main thing, really, because yeah. the pay payments, you know, they, they go up and down everywhere. Exactly. What was your first song that you heard on the radio? Um, I guess, you know, I should remember that, but I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain it was uh, Picking Up Strangers, Johnny Lee. Um, the other cuts that I'd had prior to that, uh, were album things and um, or singles that didn't didn't do do well, you know, independent singles or small singles. Just, but Johnny Lee had to be it. That's awesome. Yeah. And was that did that one go number one? It went to number two. Ah. Which, you know, when you get. When you're in the business like we are, you realize that number two is just as good as the number one. And number top five is just as good as the number one. And, okay. you know, which is, I guess, you know, I, I, uh, I've had so many of them go uh, into the top five that I love and respect my songs and, and other people's songs, too, that, that don't go number one. So I've never been much of a counter when it comes to that stuff, you know, because I think some of my, some of my songs are... Um, are more popular when I play them that, you know, song that maybe went to number 15, you know, something like that. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I've got a thing about that. That's just one of my things. I, I, I think that, uh, um, I mean, I've ha I have number ones. Uh, enough yeah, it pays, pays the same. You just don't get a party. It, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> or a plaque always, you know? Yeah. No, no. Well, I remember when, when picking up, yeah, when picking up strangers entered the chart, that was probably more exciting than even watching it go all the way to the, to, to, to number two. Uh, it entered the chart at number 29, which I thought was, that was pretty good for 1980 or 81. You know, nothing did that in 1981, really. So cool. was there a song, uh, like a cut that came along that kind of changed y your life and your career? Well, that one certainly did, but also uh, being on Juice Newton's um, album uh, was kind of, um, it was a big one for Mechanicals because it was on her Angel of the Morning B-side, which is another interesting thing because then, you know, we had B-sides that paid just as well as the A-side. So I had the B-side of a gold single uh, by Juice Newton. And, and was also on her album. Uh, so that was kind of an impact thing and kind of a reality thing that kind of, I went, wow, okay. A gold B side, nobody, <laughs> no, <laughs> you know? And so, uh, but, uh, and, and in fact, I've got it on my wall still, it's, uh, it's up there, but, um, uh, yeah, that, but then, then next, the next big 
impact record for me uh, was when I, w- I was asked to write, uh, backing up a minute, you know, ATV had connections to film, to f- a lot of film projects. And so we would get these things to write for. I mean, we were writing for films that uh, I can name a few that I didn't get songs in that I was writing songs for that our company had a, a special in with. But um, this one uh, uh, day I was uh, supposed to write a song for uh, a guy who had signed a record deal down at MCA Records, and he had had a couple of singles out. Wasn't a, whole, wasn't a, a household word yet, this guy, but um, they wanted to get him to the next level. So my publisher, a guy named Jerry Typher at ATV, and Jim Fogelsong, who was the head of MCA Records, put together a plan for me and Blake Mevis to get together and write a song for this movie scene, a bar scene. And this was right after uh, things like uh, Urban Cowboy and all that. It was pretty common then to find songs for or get artists into bar scenes or whatever whatever they could do. The film films were being used a lot to launch launch new people. So so anyway, Blake and I got together and wrote this uh, little tune. And uh, next thing I know, Blake's over in the studio cutting it on, on this artist. And next thing we know, I've, we've got our first number one, or I've got my first number one, and the artist is George Strait. So it was his first number one, too. So that, as far as it, a, an important record in my career, that's probably been the biggest. I kind of, yeah, I kind of painted the big story there, but that, that's the short answer. Foolhardy memory is really been a career record for me yeah that's amazing that's the same thing happened to me with must be doing something right it was my oh, wow. mine and jason matthews first number one and billy currington's first number one so wow. that's, that's a cool thing big one yeah big yeah and um yeah another thing too that i know marty you you were in this same era a bit i'm older than you but the same era uh where we benefited from um physical product sales, you know? Uh, and so, um, that was, uh, that's really, it's really changed now, but, but, uh, to have that, uh, part of our career, uh, early on and, you know, where physical sales were, were really important. It could finance your, it could keep you eating, you know, keep your deal going, you know, one, one platinum album cut would, would service your publishing deal. Yeah, I, I was on the very tail end of that. I had uh, my yeah. my first big, big single was the Rascal Flatts song. And before I got to hear it, there was like 50,000 downloads on Napster of it for free to every, you know, and wow. I'm like, uh oh, you know, that it's that point where I go, hmm, that's probably not good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, well, it's, uh, yeah. But it, even then, though, the, the song went on to, it went platinum and then eventually went double platinum. But so you're right. Yeah. That, I mean, there were days Kim Williams that I wrote for at the time had a, a song that was never a single on Garth, but it was on 22 million records. Oh. And it's just, you know, so the mechanicals yeah. on that were over a thousand dollars. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's funny. I re- I'm hoping that this streaming thing, you know, we both, all, all my friends, and I'm sure including you, we kind of agonize what's about, you know, what, what all has been going on with the streaming rates. 
uh, I am hoping that this will turn out for us uh, and all writers like the CD concern, the, the concerns that were happening about the CD back years ago. I'll never forget it. We had we had these meetings, these town hall meetings in Nashville about this horrible thing called a CD that was coming out that was going to be a digital copy that could be replicated and all this stuff. Everyone was worried about sales and it being a, a real terrible thing. And um, I mean, to the point to where we had people coming in from LA and New York for these town hall meetings to what are we going to do? You know, <laughs> how are we going to stop this? <laughs> you know? It turns out it, it was the biggest payday we could imagine. I mean, everything got repackaged and uh, you know, and so I'm, I'm really hoping that, streaming will have um a, a good story for us eventually but it's taken a while that's for sure at et what inspires you as a writer gosh um i've always been a um uh, a title person I, I write down a lot of ideas and titles and um sometimes it's just uh well most of the time it's keeping your ears open for ideas, whether it are, or if it could be something you're reading, you know, you just kind of pick up on something or something you hear someone say in a crowd or, or, um, uh, just never letting those things go, write them down. And I, that's one thing I tell everybody, I tell all new writers, don't ever let it slip past you. If you have a, an idea and you can't write it right then, you better write it down on something or put it on your phone or, you know, and so I've just always done that. I mean, so for most of my career, I had notebooks in every nook and cranny in my house. I had a notebook in my car. You know, a lot of that's changed now with the cell phone memos and things, but What's but, a notebook, uh, Grandpa? That's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Sure. But uh, you know, you just uh, never, never let, never let it go because you'll, you'll forget it. You know, you'll mm -hmm. if you if you don't write it down, save it. So I've always been that kind of person. I've got tons and tons of ideas always at hand, ready to draw from. So uh, you use the word inspiration. Um, it isn't sometimes I'm, in, I'm truly inspired by something. A lot of times though, it's just work, you know, it's just, it's, it's perspiration, it's work. It's, it's, uh, you come, you look through your ideas that may have come at an inspired moment, but, uh, for that day, you may be looking going, what am I going to crank out today? What am I going to work on? And it's, uh, um, and so inspiration is kind of a, uh, um, works differently uh, for everybody, but you know, people ask me a lot. What you know? How you know? How do you? Does the the muse show up for you every day? And I say she works for me. I don't. I don't work for her. Yeah, you know, and, and it, you hope you, she shows up. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what I think you're saying is that you, you have to learn how to get inspired. You know, That's if true. you're not feeling it, you have to. You still, you know, if yeah. you and I are writing, I'm not going to show up and just go. I got nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I got to figure out how to have something. One thing that I've found really helps too, if you're a musician type writer, which I am, you know, uh, if you can, if you can play an instrument and is to do that, you know, sit around, just sit around with your instrument and, and start strumming. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, you know, a lot of times, and this is crazy to say, but a lot of times I've maybe avoided sitting, picking up the guitar. Cause I go, 
if I pick that guitar up, <laughs> something's gonna happen, and I'm gonna, gonna and I'm gonna be stuck for three <laughs> for three hours working on right. something, yeah. and uh, that's that's how it works for me. Really, I can sit, I can pick up a guitar, and next thing I know, I'm working on something. I've got some something's kind of hit me, so it's I, I'm. But I think anyone can can um, train themselves to be like that. You know, you, you just have to have an open mind. And you have to be keep your cap, catcher's mitt out. I sometimes say, or these little uh, sayings, you know, or have your antenna out. But I just always have my. Um, I'm looking. I'm always ready to latch on to something and start writing. Awesome. What's the best piece of advice anybody ever gave you about songwriting? Um, well, Roger Bowling, I've gotten a lot of pieces of advice, you know, through people, but, but one of the greatest writers that I ever uh, wrote with in the beginning was a guy named Roger Bowling who wrote uh, Lucille and the coward of the County and some big things. And he was kind of a, uh, kind of an interesting guy, uh, sort of a country boy, country raised hard, just an interesting dude. But I remember he had this real um, oneness of thinking. He used to say, you know, a lot of times he, he, he used to uh, talk about writing songs uh, on his own. He didn't always write on his own. Sometimes he co-wrote, but uh, he said some ideas really take need a oneness of thinking and he used that term i think the term was kind of over his head a little bit but he knew what it meant and uh, he um uh so you know sometimes you can get in a co-writing situation that can take an idea and water it down and it doesn't end up being what you really felt so uh you know i always try to encourage uh, writers to try to write some by themselves uh and learn to appreciate that oneness of thinking that um, I certainly learned it, you know, from him. I mean, that was good advice to be able to write some by yourself, you know, and stay focused on it that way. That was a good piece of one. Another piece of advice I got early on was to, to get to um, meet some mentors, you know, have, have two or three people because, early in your career because those are the people who are willing to help you and and when you're young and all that uh uh your people are more likely to reach out a hand and give you give you uh some good help when you get older they don't care <laughs> <laughs> they go what's kid if you hadn't made it yet you're in trouble but uh you know okay kim williams used to tell me he'd come in the office and say all right, boys, we may not have more talent, but we're going to outwork them today. I love and, that. You know, and that's, that's, I've seen that prove to be true. I think a lot of people that with more talent than me um, are not doing this anymore. So I think hard work and perseverance go a long way. Oh man, I do too. I do too. I, hard work always wins. Well, what, you know, you've, you've written thousands and thousands of songs. So at, at this point, what keeps you doing it? Um, well, sometimes I write too much, Marty. I, th I think that through the years I've written a lot, but you know, it just seems to be what works for me. I like to stay busy writing. And so, um, you know, a great writer like Hugh Prestwood, uh, you know, the, the, the word about him is that he writes 12, 15 songs a year and he gets a lot of them cut, but, but there are other 
writers like me that just like to write a lot, you know, and it just, it's just the method to my, my thing. Um, but what was the question? <laughs> what, what, what keeps you writing even today after writing so many songs? What, you know, what, what keeps you going at it today? Well, it's just that, um, I don't think I can stop, you know, I don't, I just don't, um, it's just not something that I would ever want to retire from or, or sort of just quit doing, I, um, because the ideas just keep coming and I just want to keep working on them and, uh, sharing them with maybe a strategic, uh, co-writer, uh, whatever I, uh, I don't know. I, uh, what keeps me going on it? It keeps me, uh, it's just, I'm hooked on it, I guess. I, uh, uh, it's, uh, kind of everything that it's what I do, you know? So I just can't, it's really hard for me to set it down. I can understand how some people might, um, at my age decide maybe not do any more shows or whatever the things that are kind of exhausting, or maybe, um, uh, you know, um, slow down a little bit, but I think if you're a songwriter, um, and have been all your career, it's really hard to just kind of, um, put the pen down, you know? <laughs> so cause I, I think to anybody that's done it as long as you and I have, we have, you have to love it. Yeah. You know, if, if you don't yeah. love it or you're just doing it for the money or the plaques on the wall or whatever, you, you're probably going to get tired of it at some point. But if, if you love it, you can just keep going. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I don't know where it comes from, Marty. I just, it just keeps coming. You know, it just yeah. comes from somewhere. Some people sort of look at it as divine intervention or whatever, but I, I just, uh, I really am a firm believer of keeping my ears open, keeping my antenna out there and just kind of being receptive. Yeah. And I think that's what, that's where a lot of inspiration comes from. We used to. Did you ever go write with Kim Williams at his cabin? I never did. I wish I had, though. I, you know, he was a great writer, and we uh, would go up there a lot. After we'd kind of go after we wrote on Friday, we'd go up there for the weekend and write with him. And we might get up there at ten thirty, eleven at night, and he'd open the boy, the door and go, "Boys, I'm about to write all over myself." And, and we'd, have, <laughs> we'd spend all night writing and then sleep all day. And just oh gosh, crazy, crazy times. Man, that is, that's great. Uh, that's great. I wish I had written with him because I know that was, had to be a fun experience. Yes, it was. I've, I've written with prolific people. I mean, I guess I'm prolific too, but I've written with some prolific writers that, you know, I've holed up with them and written four songs a day for a period of time, two songs, three songs a day, just for two weeks straight or something. Uh, I remember years ago, way back when I first moved to town, Fred Kohler, a songwriter, said that he wrote with Shel Silverstein like that. They would, you know, a hole up and write for two weeks and uh, come up with uh, 15 or 20 songs. Well, you know, it's kind of fun. It can be. It can wear you out. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, Byron, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. And um, everybody go check out. Byron's music is his webpage, byronhillmusic.com. And so good to talk to you. Hey, man. Thank you. I appreciate it, Marty. It's good to see you again. And Likewise. we do, we, we need to get back together and write one.
We should do it. It's, it's been a while. been a yes, long time. All right. Well, thanks Good for having time. me. Hope you enjoyed that and that you learned something from Byron. I really encourage you to check out his uh, music. He has written just some classic songs in the history of country music, and that's why he's in the Hall of Fame. So I hope you got as much out of that as I did. We've got a song for you coming up. It's called Dear Beer, and it was written by Songtown member Terry Birch and Mason Douglas. If you like Songtown on Songwriting, please give us a good rating wherever you listen to this uh, podcast. That really helps us. Uh, Check out the show notes for information on Byron and also on Songtown and uh, books Clay and I have written and different things like that. So thanks for being here. Hope you enjoy the music and have a great week. Dear Beer, sorry that I ain't reached out in a while I know I left you high and dry It's been rough, I ain't gonna lie But she won't let me hang out with you no more Said I had to put the bottle down And my tears started pouring out Dear Beer, wanna get you back and hold your knees Tip you back and sip you with a good vibe hopping, yeah. Get you topless, slide you across the table, pull you out of that label all night. You and all your friends on ice. I only want to kiss on you or no one. You're my only cold one. Damn, I wish you were here, dear beer. I keep picturing you everywhere I go You and that koozie Chilling with me in that jacuzzi And I swear I find us a new hiding place Clandestine rendezvous If you miss me like I miss you Dear beer Wanna get you back and hold you near Tip you back and sip you with a good vibe hopping, yeah Get you topless, slide you across the table Pull you out of that label all night You and all your friends on ice Be our little secret, won't tell no one You're my only cold one, damn I wish you were here Dear beer Mmm, yeah Oh dear, beer, when it comes to love You gotta sacrifice a little But if she's making me choose her over you Man, I hope the door don't hit her Dear, beer, wanna get you back and hold you near Tip it back and sip you with a good vibe hopping, yeah Get you topless, slide you across the table Peel you out of that label all night You and all your friends on ice I only want to kiss on you or no one You're my only cold one Damn, I wish you were here We could get you know what face Back at my place Swinging from the chandelier Dear beer 